0: Welcome to The Engineers Collective, the monthly podcast by New Civil Engineer. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button to have the latest episodes delivered straight to your device. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems.
1: Hello and welcome to The Engineers Collective. I'm Mark Hansford.
2: And I'm Alex Wynn.
1: And today we're talking new plans for High Speed 2. Are we in a climate emergency? I think we are. We're going to talk about that. But first, it was a big story last year for us. And this month, we have finally seen the final report into the um, devastating, tragic uh, Florida International University bridge collapse, which uh, killed six people, um, uh, five motorists and one construction worker when the under construction um, bridge collapsed onto a major highway in, uh, in Florida back in March 2018. Um, the report which is, which has come out, which is you know, freely available, anyone listening can, can go Google it and, and, uh, and find it. I mean, it, it is just a, a catalogue of design and construction errors, which I think every civil engineer around the world should have a look at because it really is a how not to do it guide, isn't it?
2: Mm. And actually I think we we commented, didn't we, when we were reading it ahead of writing about it in the magazine this month, that um it's almost one of the most readable pieces of sort of engineering critique that that anyone could come across. It's very, very accessible and it makes it even more blatant how many different stages um the fail-safes weren't there or they were there and they didn't perform exactly as they should. And it harks back really to our very first episode of the podcast and talking to Ed McCann. It's the skills thing again, isn't it Mark?
1: It is. Absolutely right. I mean, it, and I would absolutely echo that, it is really accessible. If you just read the, if everyone just read the executive summary, two pages, two pages. it sums everything up perfectly. It's just, it really is critical reading, I would say, and, and you're absolutely right there were errors identified in design, mm-hmm. errors the identified, at the very earliest stages, uh, errors identified um, during construction, and it was still under construction. and And what's really interesting, as you say, referring back to to, to Ed, um, there was an independent design engineer. there was an independent design yeah, in to I'm do due. this. There checking. was an on-site uh, construction checker. And these are things that we, you know, in, in the wake of other failures, we, we people talk about do we need to go back to that world over here, away from the self certification?
2: Like peer reviewing yeah. of the designs and making sure mm. someone's there having oversight on the project in yeah. construction, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, they had those systems in place there, and the thing is still tragically collapsed and tragically killed people.
2: Yeah. Yet again, it's a unique bridge design. We talked about that a lot with Pol Chavera. Uh, is nearly every bridge unique, do we think? and Or is it the degree to which the designers are pushing the traditional boundaries of design to come up with their preferred structure? This one is unusual again, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you're right. It, it is unusual. It's, I mean, we wrote it at the time. But it was a, a cable-stay bridge or an under-construction cable-stay bridge. They hadn't put the, the pylon up mm. or the, attached the cables. And there was a suggestion at, at the early outset, but it might've just been in, in its... Construction state, um, it wasn't able to sustain its own weight with the cables. the cables. Without the cables, but but actually, as it's turned out through through investigation and more details, it's not a cable stay bridge at all. No. The, the the pylon and, and and steel tubes, but they actually are not cables. Are purely an architectural feature
2: to make it look and like to make like it a... look like
1: a cable stay bridge mm. and therefore more elegant.
2: Mm. What
1: you've actually got is quite an unusual concrete reinforced concrete truss, um, where. The, uh, the 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 nodes where the diagonal members of the truss um, connect just wasn't designed properly. I mean, it was a, it was an unusual design, mm. but there was a design checker. Yeah. It does turn out that the the consultant hired to do the design checker wasn't accredited to do that specific type of design check, which is a is quite a technicality. But mm. they, that's what's been unearthed. Um, so yeah, it's unusual design, but done, but done by a very credible company. Very. Um, checked by another very credible company, and uh, and yet there you know the report has found that there are there are errors. Um, yeah. I suppose I mean we should stress at this point um, that um, you know we have a approach for design company um, for comment they are not commenting yeah. for understandable reasons at the moment. And the
2: Construction company and we also the, yeah. um,
1: contact the contractor for comment and. Because it is now with Miami State Prosecutors as yeah. to what they want to do next. So we um, don't
2: know for sure exactly where any particular mm. culpability lies at this point. No,
1: but this is the the findings of the of the of the National Transportation Safety Board. So you know that's uh, it's, which is which is the body that investigates such things mm. in, in America. They say um, yeah, you know, action will presumably follow now. But here and now, there are. Yeah, right. Some some clear lessons for for engineers worldwide to go take a look at, and I guess we would urge them to go take yeah. a look at it.
2: I think the other only other sort of thing that strikes us again, it's again going back to some of the things we talked about in those earlier podcasts. Some of the soft skills are under question here, perhaps. There were yeah. there were um, there was clear awareness of some issues with the in construction part of the bridge where yeah. cracking had appeared at certain. Yeah points in the truss or across the bridge structure. I'm not entirely sure Mm -hmm. um, where they were, but people have been alerted to the presence of these uh, these cracks and the checking engineers knew about these things. But again, it's the degree to which any action was taken to ensure those cracks weren't as catastrophic as they ended up being. Yeah. and that comes down to communication, in a sense, does it not? Perhaps it must be. Question up. is there yeah. any? Anyway. The question
1: is there absolutely. That you know, as you say, the cracks were reported, meetings were held. Mm. Um,
2: in fact, there was a meeting on the day,
1: the day prior to the collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, no, you're right. On, on, the, on day the day of the collapse, collapse. Uh, they, they yeah, the crack was reported the day before, and they met yeah. on the day of the collapse, and and
2: to remediate them.
1: Yeah. So
2: terrible
1: yeah it's terrible so yeah engineers everywhere go have a look at that report yes meanwhile um back on this side of the pond hs2 continues <laughs> to draw headlines and yeah. uh, and intrigue and we've had a leaking of of doug okey's report to, to the prime minister which appears to be reasonably favorable to the project um the the project if not the project promoter uh, necessarily but um, still questions are being asked around the cost of it and uh and there's a, a new in, a really new a really interesting proposal has emerged whilst this is going on um which is instead of terminating at euston because uh, that's the big issue that we've, the we big understand issue. Uh,
2: potentially big issue i suppose but we know that euston station terminus is a real headache because it's such an in-use over capacity um station at present how do you make it work building a new hs2 station sort of within that
1: absolutely sort of
2: development yeah
1: so yeah absolutely yeah. and and, in, and building the approaches from from older common the the kind of uh, the hub in west london where people can interchange onto crossrail and um another sort of great western rail services mm. and getting it from from Oak common into into euston is is estimated to be costing about eight billion pounds now
2: big part of it in tunnel
1: big it? part of it in tunnel some very complicated approaches to euston station yeah um so it's you know, eight billion at the moment. So the alternative idea that's is merged is to, is to, well, you forget about Euston altogether, <laughs> um, go from Old Oak Common um, via a, a brand new station near Waterloo to sort of uh, south of the city centre and extending out through there. It's going via Canary Wharf and, and connecting in to, uh, to High Speed One out in East London near Rainham. Um, high that,
2: Speed One connection,
1: that old chestnut. <laughs> It's back, and that would cost, according to the the promoters, of this scheme, which are being being led by uh ten billion. Um, so a little bit more, but potentially really bringing back that original raison d'etre of HS2, that connection to the continent.
2: <laughs> we did all dream, didn't we? I remember in those early sort of, I think it's ten years ago, isn't it? Two thousand and nine. We assumed that, well, if you're going to have another high-speed railway line coming from Almost Scotland, in the original plan down to Manchester, Birmingham, and London, it wouldn't kind of just stop at London. it'd get you right yeah. through to Paris
1: if you looked across Europe, why would you not do that why why do you why do you have a terminus at Euston and another terminus at? Yeah. St Pancras and make people walk or get on a travelator, 500 metres or whatever it is. Yeah.
2: Well, it was, a, it was purely ruled out on the basis of cost, was it not? Yeah. Because there was so much difficulty in redeveloping King's Cross St Pancras. Um, and around the canal area, if you know King's Cross, it's, got, it's right near the canal. And, and there was an awful lot going on in that particular land that meant it was so difficult even just to get HS1 connection. People didn't really want to go there on the engineering challenges to try and create an HS2 through link, did they? So then there was an awful sort of vision of, well, walking is fine, but there's not much of a a pedestrianised pavement area between the two. And on top of that, there was a a consider, was it 400 metre moving walkway or something? I still could never quite work out if it was like a monorail style in the sky walkway or, or where it would be, but that was the best case scenario they put forward, wasn't it?
1: It was. Um, Not I mean, even
2: dealing with what, no. what you actually do at Euston to make space for yeah the new HS2 trains. So
1: yeah, but as as I mean, you know, you know, as things stand, yeah, two terminuses with all the platforms you need for terminating stations, which is inefficient, or you just have one big through station, which it's the, is the kind of the, the, the continental model the Parisian model it, it relieves all that pressure you don't need all that station space because you just need basically you just need two platforms because the trains are only in, in platform for four minutes five minutes mm. whatever it is on you go um, so isn't this isn't
2: it? bringing back the old Waterloo
1: no <laughs> no, 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 we're not talking station. about bringing back let's rip that no. up again wouldn't that, that be handy no it's not no, unfortunately not
2: project that's just been done let's scrap it no it's not
1: no reversing that it's i think you know it's a
2: separate is... entity that allows just a brief yeah. stopping point what
1: we're talking about here is a is a an underground high speed railway station which will roughly run and straddle between mm. uh Waterloo East um railway station and southwark underground right. station that sort of scale mm. so connecting into lots of existing infrastructure is quite sensible yeah um It's got some interesting merit to it. It's been submitted to the Oak Review as an idea. It's got the backing of Mark Bostock, the former Arab director, who would tell you was the man instrumental in getting the route of High Speed 1 Phase 2 moved from Waterloo.
2: Ironically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, ironically enough, um, to some Pancras. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a... There's a there's a collaborator in in Burra I suppose Apple's that plan. was the
2: first high speed rail link as well. Officially, yeah. the St. Pan- when it moved to St Pancras, wasn't it? That's the yeah. first high speed rail in the UK. So, I suppose it is the man that um, might know about these things. Yeah. Um, my only thing is, I suppose, has anyone done sort of business impact concerns about whether that affects the current Eurostar well, <laughs> link at at King's Cross at at St Pancras rather and also would you then suddenly have customs at Waterloo East
1: well quite I mean I think I think there's
2: border checks
1: further work to be done I think
2: especially in the new world order (laughs) and post Brexit getting your visa stamped (laughs)
1: The people who bought property around Euston, expecting a high-speed 2 station, are probably not that uh, not that excited about no, this idea either. But so. Landly's
2: might be querying the logic of it, but it is absolutely fascinating well, yeah. the idea that you can completely change it up at this point. And I suppose Borough appled on putting this plan together. If it did ever come into being, and they had this cost estimate wildly out, it wouldn't be good for their credibility. So you just expect this to be relatively well well costed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you'd think so. Intriguing. We'll watch this space. The final thing to talk about, probably, um, because we can't really ignore it. Given <laughs> um, in the recent last month or so, we've seen some pretty shocking flooding and across quite a large chunk of the, the north and middle of uh, of England. Mm. Um, so we clearly we, we we need to talk a little bit about about flooding. But I think probably. You want to talk about I suppose the, the bigger picture of it really which is the, mm. the climate emergency and yeah. we're going to talk about this um shortly with our special guest uh keith clark but before we bring in keith i mean it's yeah it's the timing's just extraordinary wasn't it just as um boris was beginning to prime uh,
2: minister boris johnson prime
1: minister boris johnson was was belatedly convening the government's cobra committee to yeah. which to talk about this Situation, it was not an emergency, but then became an emergency. Um, Venice is, yeah. is, is, is was being submerged by the city's highest tide Again, in 50 years. Yeah. Um, and Australia was and still is battling um, catastrophic bushfires.
2: Yeah.
1: All three events attributed to climate change.
2: Yeah, it's just not quite being dealt with in the same, with the same sense of emergency as campaigners are trying to get um, people to understand, is it? No. I mean, the if we take the Venice flooding for a start, I mean, we've written about the Moser flood barrier since it's, I think construction started 2003, didn't it, or something? Yeah. We wrote about it at least for the last 10 years off and on. It's a totally feasible project. It's just other reasons that it's not happened, but completely unforgivable reasons when... It is designed to entirely protect the flooding from that lagoon into yep. the city. It seems just so shocking that somewhere so familiar to many and so precious, even a place like that can't be can't get people called to arms to fix the problem.
1: Yep. I mean, clearly, I mean, there are all sorts of classic Italian political well, um, reasons for why. It's why not really
2: <laughs> cutting it, is it? But it that? doesn't cut I... it,
1: does it? I mean, you know, Italy. Well, as we said, with with Polchiverovidae, I mean, Italy is is a is a European country. Uh, yeah. It is uh, so. It should be sort of things should not be happening. Mm-hmm. Engineers should be able to 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 stop these things happening, but clearly, in in Venice, they are not. Um, but or being prevented in, from being prevented from you know dragging uh, on yeah. and being delayed. Yeah. But here in the UK, you know, yeah. we've, we've, we you know these places that have just flooded in in and around uh, Rotherham and Doncaster, that you know they they flooded in two thousand and seven. Yeah. Some of them have flooded more recently. Still, they're still not. Some of them still aren't getting any kind of flood risk mitigation. And
2: mm. um, it's fascinating this part, of it, isn't it? Because. 2007 was the the worst floods that, you know, triggered the pit review that followed a few months later. And and there was, again, in 2008 pit review, a real call to action, um, a clear set of absolute guidelines on what needed to be done to prevent major flooding happening in the UK again. And then austerity hit. Mm-hmm no one had that much of an appetite in central government once the floods had subsided enough to really enact enough plans to make real changes there and that also got complicated by the fact that if anyone was going to get any central government flood defence funding or flood management funding local communities had to find a way to stump up some of it themselves either through private Contributions or, yep. um, or through the people or, or homeowners yeah. actually mm. coming up with yeah. part of the plan themselves it, or part of the money to pay yep. for the plan themselves. So I, I fear this is one of those scenarios again where it's been coming and now we know the climate emergency is a very scientifically present danger. At what point are people going to realise that flood management policies affect? whether people are protected from floods
1: yes um absolutely um it's probably the good news mm. is that the, the grant and aid um mechanism which is the, the partnership funding mechanism which you know works out how much private contribution. Cash you, contribution you need to get before you you can get some money from the government or through the ea to get your scheme off the ground it is being reviewed
2: um, is that because it wasn't working? Well,
1: uh, you know, it, so so the experts tell us it it kind of has worked on... It's kind of, it's worked on big schemes where you can demonstrate you are protecting a lot of houses from flooding.
2: Or a private entity that is a big industrial or commercial...
1: Yeah, if you can make a big slug yeah. in the government's stated aim to protect 300,000 more homes from flooding, right. if you can do that, then you're not bad. But anything... Which doesn't do that has struggled mm. and some of these uh, these recently struck places they they yeah okay it, a lot of it's been from rivers bursting its banks but it's also been exacerbated by storm water surface yep. water flooding and related
2: um, to these extreme related extreme. to the
1: extreme localized kind of storms and um, and storm water flooding is notoriously difficult to get granted to name funding yeah. for so it is being reviewed um, but i suppose ultimately The Environment Agency just doesn't get enough money, does it? No,
2: and I think that was my next point, really. Give credit to the Environment Agency for coping rather well in many instances over the last decade where it has had its hands tied financially. I think for all the talk sort of 10 years ago about green policies and green agenda in austerity, there was nothing mentioned. It was all very much about the localism, kind of fix-it-yourselves people with a bit of help from, yeah, almost like moral support. Yeah on offer from central government cuz it and their, and its agencies cuz there wasn't yeah. much else
1: and it's just interesting here we are in, in election further um and we haven't seen all the, as we record this we haven't seen all the manifestos but so far there's not much sign despite the recent flooding and, and the cobra uh, committee meeting and the cobra committee meeting there's not much mention of flood money in no. there and i guess where well, they get is maybe there's the, there's a the challenge to keep up keep up the shout you know? and
2: also again if it isn't about flood defences we know in recent times the the policy move has been towards flood management not flood protection because that implies that every house will be utterly protected but it's again where are we going to get to in terms of new developments and retrofitting existing homes and businesses to make them more flood resilient we know it's needed we know it's possible we just need to get that happening and developers as well to take more of that responsibility, particularly if developing on floodplains.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think it's time to bring in Keith.
2: Perfect timing.
0: Each year, industry leaders gain insights into advancements in infrastructure by attending the Year in Infrastructure conference held by Bentley Systems. Through keynotes, industry forums, invite-only summits, and a main conference, Attendees interact with more than 1,500 industry leaders and like-minded professionals to connect, collaborate and share perspectives. If you missed the 2019 conference in Singapore, it's not too late to catch up on the highlights. Go to www.yii.bentley.com and remember to save the date for next year's event in Vancouver, 12th to the 15th of October, 2020.
1: Keith has more than 40 years' experience implementing major public infrastructure and city developments through either design, construction, or public policy input. He successfully runs several major construction and engineering consultancy businesses, most notably serving as chief executive of Atkins. He's long been an advocate for sustainable development and the need for the decarbonisation of society, and nowadays is the most active and outspoken person I know on the subject. He's chairman of form for future and i can't think of anyone better to explain the engineers role in mitigating climate change welcome keith Uh, thanks thanks for having me so let's start with the beginning really government is committed to the uk being net zero by 2050
3: so for our listeners what do you actually take that to mean Um, Well, it means that May didn't actually understand the science. Uh, And I think Blair understood the science. Brown sort of understood the science. Cameron, we can't tell whether he understood the science or not. But they've all said the right thing. But I think May generally meant it, that she understood there was a climate change emergency. Um, And all this stems from the last IPCC report, where they went from two, you know, two degrees is pretty necessary by the end of the century, and it would be nice to look at one and a half. Lots of work done, a lot of it led by Oxford. Um, I mean, the UK has got fantastic scientists on this. I mean, really are stunning people. And unfortunately, their answer was, actually, it's not a good idea. It's a necessary idea to get to one and a half, and you have to get there by mid-century. So the science was unequivocal, and the good thing is that May understood that. The bad thing is that we didn't have any continuity of government to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that's necessarily a big problem. Okay. So from that, you're, you're confident that
1: you know we perhaps Theresa May started the the move, and we're going to continue it. But I suppose what. You know, when we say committing the UK to being net zero, I mean, how, how does that actually work? Are we talking about just the country as a whole is going to be a net zero emitter of carbon by 2050? Um, is that, there, is that uh, what we
3: mean? There's a massive discussion had about the definition of net zero. Um, and actually, I'd like to put that aside because if you look at all the pathways to get to anything approaching net zero, ignoring offsets and imported goods mm-hmm. for a second—they're uh, valid issues that um, the greens uh, parties and environmentalists have argued for for a long time. Setting those aside, you still have a rate of uh, uh, a decarbonization beyond anything our industry has done in terms of rate of change ever, even in wartime. So. Arguing about the ultimate aim and the the technical definition for 2050 when you haven't started on what we're doing this year with a pipeline which will go well beyond that is sort of, you know, it's the point where you're you're really worrying about the pinhead, but you really do need an injection right now. There's stuff to do right now, ignoring the long term or medium term debate about what net zero carbon definition is, or even carbon accountancy, which is an immature. And, and this is but it's immature. Don't wait for the perfect answer. If we behave like engineering always does, which <laughs> wait for the ninth decimal point before you get off your backside, we're not going to get remotely there. All pathways, all pathways require the built environment to massively, massively decarbonize. Now, and it's not an affordability issue. It is simply not, we'll do it if we can afford it. It is a prerequisite of the way we run our society. And that's the change which we haven't seen coming out of National Infrastructure Commission. Mm. You know, it's a balanced question. No, it's not a balanced question mm. anymore. It's not a balanced question. You should renovate buildings like the school buildings, which are massively uh, in deficit for maintenance right now. So should you renovate those to keep the roofs on for the kids in school and the heating on? Or should you actually go to the next step and make it net zero carbon and invest in an industry? I think the answer is unequivocal. You should be doing both, but you can't build a built environment that carries on the way we are. Otherwise you're at four degrees and we are capable UK with our science, with our Met Office, with the investment we have in technology, with our civil engineering skills and technical skills, and, and actually our financing. Uh, we learn a lot about public... Pro- we have all the bits to actually be world leader in this, and that's not a bad game.
2: So if you're the Heathrow Third Runway Project right now, if it could be a person, what what should it be doing, do you think? what should it? How should it really grasp that from the start? Or can it do it in a sort of interim thing in this carbon accountancy that you suggest or offsets elsewhere? Uh, or do you think one. it's kind of like, it's a almost here and today project?
3: Um, I, I heard a presentation by the Kuwaiti Investment Fund who are part owner of City Airport. City Airport is looking for another runway, somewhat smaller mm-hmm. than Heathrow, but same principal issues. And they're looking for a net zero carbon project. They're looking at all electric uh, ground fleet, They are assuming, and I'm not arguing it's reasonable, but they are assuming that certainly for short haul, electric planes or other fuel planes, low carbon planes will be available within 30 to 40 years. And the airline industry is rapidly looking, Rolls-Royce is investing, Mm. Boeing Airbus are investing in new technologies for aircraft that effectively decarbonize them to a greater extent than we've ever seen before. So it's not about fuel efficiency anymore. Mm. So that translation from a heavy fuel dependent, uh, fossil fuel dependent industry to, and actually profligate on the ground too um, today, to one which is net zero carbon, the way you operate an airport with technology of the planes and technology in the transport system that get you to the curve of the airport. Yep. So sort of three areas. I don't think you can freeze everything. Do we need more runways? Well, actually, we probably need some more runways in some places, Mm. but you might not have as many flights. You might actually reorganize the way we look at using carbon in an effective way. Certainly, the current offsets for planes is meaningless. You know, I just shamelessly, I flew to Singapore to give a speech. Um, It was worth it. There were 2,000 people, so you can just about count it as being worthwhile. The offset is a few pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got to be a meaningful offset. And that isn't a tax. That's just actually saying the impact of that trip is being included in what you're doing. So, you know, it's not unreasonable that the cost of disposing of something, if you buy a good, uh, you know, the the cost of disposing of a nuclear power plant one day is affected in your bill somewhere because that is the real environmental cost. And you should look at that same for an airline flight. So yeah, will there be one? I think um, some of those runways will happen, but they need to be net zero uh, uh, as an operating airport. Um, both of those projects, both Heathrow and City Airport, have plans to do it. I think both of them have too much offset. Offset's a cop out. Um, you can see offset, not bad idea if you had 15 20% offset today and next year you make it 4% less and 4% mm. less and 4% mm. less and you get to net zero offset by 2050.
2: And by offsetting, what do we mean? For those who maybe aren't as familiar with...
3: Uh, offsetting means you buy a peat bog in Scotland mm. and show that's got a carbon sequestration that offsets the carbon that you can't deal with on your own project. Mm. Um, now, if you're offsetting to actually absorb carbon somewhere else, that's one thing, so you plant a bunch of trees. Mm. But actually, it's got to be a decline in element so if you're doing a project today, you don't have good carbon accounting, frankly. You don't have good practice. You don't have new technology embedded today. So if you're doing it today, yeah, offset's probably a good idea because at least it makes the financial appraisal of the project reflect yeah. its true cost. Yeah. But it can't continue that way. It's, mm. it's the immature end of decarbonizing. Yeah. And it needs to decline every year to the point where offsetting is not counted. But by then, act of faith carbon, CO2E, will be priced, rationed, regulated. It will be a scarce commodity that you can't use. Mm -hmm. And I have no view of whether it's priced at 400 a ton or regulated out or is a standard. It will be all of those things at different times. And that's fine. We just need to get on with actually working out how to design it out because the money is going to demand that it's out. Mm. So that's great. And and I think, you know, that's...
1: From an well, from 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 a human perspective, that that sounds like a, the way it should go. From an engineering perspective, that sounds like the way to go because that gives engineers something really tangible to grasp on, doesn't it? If if engineers can work on whether it's the civil engineers designing the actual runway infrastructure yeah. or aeronautical engineers making you know planes run much much leaner, much greener, that's that's something we can go at as engineers, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but what? where You know? I guess you know. Where, you know, governments current thinking is, you know, this kind of countrywide net zero thing. And that brings in questions like uh, High Speed 2 is an interesting example, another big controversial project where actually as a report out this week from the High Speed um, Rail Industry Leaders Group, obviously a vested interest, but nevertheless, they've done quite an independent report, I think, looking Mm -hmm. at you know, he, um, HS2 has always so far been quite coy on its on its net zero credentials, because ultimately obviously in use, it's assuming that energy is coming from renewable sources to power the trains. It's, it's, it's pretty green. But in construction, there's an awful lot of concrete. And so it takes many, many years on, you know, just on that simple calculation for it to become a help to net zero. But if you bring in the broader, broader benefits of a high speed rail network, including modal shift and yeah. including, you know, the kind of the unlocking of development areas, which you can then build some new brand new sort of, you know, green housing and, and, and stuff on. Then you can paint a picture that high speed rail is a massive part of a UK kind of net zero world, which you said it yourself, if, if then National Infrastructure Commission was yeah. really looking at, at what the infrastructure needs were from a net zero first perspective, they might put that <laughs> Upfront and the essential thing, they might not, but I guess you know, where does you know, do you, is, is that where some serious thinking needs I, to go on right now?
3: I think that's that's a perfectly reasonable scenario to play with a fatal flaw, right? Okay, it I is reasonable to say, look, the, the overall benefits for the economy, for distribution, wealth outside of London, for hopefully having housing development that's not on a floodplain, that would be novel, um, <laughs> uh, 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 and looking at, do you need infrastructure in the way we currently think about it, mm. if you're looking at a net zero carbon urban development strip? And, and rather than looking at how you design our infrastructure, we should be looking at it as, why have we got infrastructure? And you build it a different way. Let's say you're not going to have roads or access or energy or telecoms, It'd be quite a good idea if people did have high-speed broadband and all the rest of it. It's hard to do your homework without it, actually, mm-hmm. and that is a massive disenfranchise. So those things should be done, but the question starts at a different question point. So if you said for high-speed two, actually we have a carbon budget, mm-hmm. not as a calculation at the end of a cost-benefit, but as a primary design constraint, right. both mm-hmm. for its operational and its embedded. And the, 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 the calculations of, you know, where do you get the concrete from and where you're getting the sample, very complex, make some assumptions, good enough assumptions. As soon as you put a design determinant our engineers are smart enough to come up with an answer to that question that's embedded in your design process. It hasn't been. Now, one of the contractors, I think it was possibly Costein Skanska it was Costein or somebody, took one bit and looked at trying to decarbonize it and yeah. made a massive saving. Yeah. But if you're actually said as a primary design determinant, and they could still do it now and say, okay, wherever we are, we're going to use less land. We're going to use a different form of construction. You really do have to innovate. You, you, you got preferred bidder status. It, you got to behave differently. You got to bring in different technologies. You can't take risk with some stuff. You you know, you're not going to try a new low-carbon concrete for the tunnel lining for Thames Tideway, okay? You're just not going to take a risk. But there's a hell of a lot of stuff you can, and we haven't seen any innovation in that sense. And there is a real issue about saying, what is the long-term energy supply? And, you know, it frankly has to be renewable energy or net-zero carbon energy or nuclear, and it has to be dedicated, and if you can't do that, you should run the train slower. You know, those equations are quite complex equations. But the business as usual, frankly, is just socially and legally unacceptable if you believe the Climate Change Act. It's an act. And guess what? It is an act. So maybe we should start behaving like it's an act. Oh, by the way, your school kids think it's true. Your graduates think it's true. The population lying down in Trafalgar Square think it's true. Um, The politicians occasionally think it's true. The profession should... Get on with it. It's a fantastic opportunity to change the design
1: question. Well, this is the, this is the classic copy. I'm, I'm speaking clearly on behalf of the the designers and, and contractors here, but that has to come from the clients, doesn't it? That has to come from Mark Fursten saying, right, you've, yeah, as you say, your preferred bit is now go back. Instead of just keep sharpening your pencils and cutting cost out of this project, cut some carbon out of it instead.
3: Yeah, I think that it, it is up to the clients to a degree um, to say, we're going to ask a different question. I quite agree. Um, but I, I think there's two issues to there. Um, there's no other industry that I know of where the um, suppliers of the service, which is what consultants contract out wait to be asked for a product. Mm. Okay. Or not not the product, but what the product can do. So, you know, Sainsbury's run a supermarket. You could suggest to Sainsbury's that it does other things as well. Um, Or you could suggest uh, 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 that it being net zero carbon is part of their future franchise. Um, And they might say no. Um, You don't kind of wait for Ford to say, um, we weren't going to put satnav in because no one asked for it. Or Central Lock-In, well, no one asked for it. Um, you know, there's a competitive element in those markets, but we don't seem to have a customer service element in ours. And we, and I, I think that's one of the problems uh, or characteristics. It's not a problem. It's a characteristic of, of certainly civil engineering, which is, tends to be rather insular. Civil engineering as a profession is not the profession that's going to solve this. Civil engineering will solve it with environmentalists, with traffic planners, with scenario, with IT, mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of disciplines, which create civil engineering projects. So it's not your standard civil engineer with the standard, who are fantastic. But that's not the only arrow in the quiver that's gonna, that builds a railway station. Mm-hmm. You know, pedestrian models, environmental m and structure, you name it, you name what you need to make a successful piece of city these days. And behavioral psychologists. And believe it or not, maybe some building physicists. Now, are they civil engineers or not? I have no idea. I don't actually care. You know, the the inconvenience of climate change, you know, old Gore was right. It is the inconvenient truth, but it's actually much more inconvenient because even if you look at Oxford and Cambridge or Harvard, who I just talked to, climate change doesn't fit in their college regime. Mm -hmm. And climate change... Requires all sorts of disciplines to dance together. Um, it is really inconvenient institutionally. Doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Just means it's hard to do.
2: What do you think the civil engineers' role is? Because I think we started to have a conversation about this, and that, you know, it seems like there's an amazing opportunity. So you start to think maybe the civil engineers could be the leaders in this. But actually, what you're suggesting is it really is this sort of team effort. But if they're quite insular, how do they? make that leap especially if they're not used to offering up solutions in less asked for it sounds like there's a real like on the back foot situation for civil engineers if if well, we're being a bit negative i suppose
3: i'd be more optimistic i think yeah. um uh, i talked to actually a couple of other consulting engineers sort of senior people in them and said you know have you made more money when you've offered something to a client or when you haven't and both of them said when we've offered more Either they've taken it up, which was our experience, and you you do better because mm. you, you said, you know, we could do this, oh, that's cool, let's explore it. Or the fact you've engaged with them, even if they say, no, we don't want it, leads to a different relationship. Mm. Uh, we certainly found that uh, throughout the Middle East, certainly at Atkins we did, we found it mm. um, uh, true, actually, of people like the Highways Agency who want people to come and talk to them, interestingly. You know, they expect... Their supply chain, you know, they're quite sophisticated, deep client, as is Network Rail, as is uh, Hinkley Point. They expect us to turn up as on my side of the design industry, where I used to be, and engage. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some training to be done for for middle management to, A, give them the time to do it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have the McKinsey model. And the McKinsey model is you have about 60 50% utilization. You spend the rest of the time doing knowledge transfer. Right. Um, and, and reckoning out what the client question will be and doing studies. We work, you know, our industry works at 76-ish, 78 utilization, keep the billion hours out, we cheap, bill cheaply. Y- you don't have time to think. So there is a sort of an investment of intellect, and you have faith that in a world that is changing, you might make a lot of money out of it. I'd actually say if you don't do it, you're going to lose a lot of money because you won't be competitive. So I think... I, just one of the things on causing changes, money is moving. I mean, the, the Mark Carney's uh, carbon disclosure, risk disclosure project is really gaining traction. And that's going to change the risk appetite of money mm-hmm. investing either in government bonds or in projects or in private finance or public finance or public utilities. The money side is moving very, very quickly. Uh, ESGs are now at you know, uh, environment, social, government uh, investments are now at 30, I think, 34 trillion dollars, trillion dollars right. from up from 22 a few months ago. I mean, ma- you need to check those figures, but it's a massive change. The point is, these aren't ethical considerations. They're risk considerations. Yeah, And that money is going to be turning up at investors, in shares, in your clients before we're ready to service them. Mm. So Volvo, you know, all their cars can be electric and their production is gonna be net zero carbon. So who's gonna design their factories? Mm. Yeah? And that's sort of and more and more clients going, well, actually I need to, I don't know how to address this. I'm not someone that builds factories or metros. Mm. I run metros, I run water systems. Excuse me, you're the, <laughs> what are you gonna do for me? That's the opportunity, bit uncomfortable There's no standards for it. Immature accounting. Get on with it.
2: Who takes the risk in that situation? Well, it's a financial thing again.
3: You know, the great thing about the private sector is it's meant to take risk. Mm. Okay? That's the point of having a capitalist market is Mm. it takes risk and it manages risk. And that's what it does for a reward. And if it doesn't take risk, it shouldn't be getting a reward. That's (laughs) called a monopoly. That's why we have a monopolies commission. Not a bad idea, really. (laughs) Um, So if you want a nice, secure, um, steady-state, non-competitive, high-fee environment, just nationalize the entire construction uh, uh, civil engineering (laughs) business, and you needn't worry about it. Not particularly good idea. We've been there before. We had CEGB. A few efficiencies since we got rid of that. And a few other problems. But, you know, you can't have it both ways. You want a nice, secure, non-competitive income uh, a business model, then you have to be offering something to the client that they can't refuse. He or she grabs it. You can't have it all ways. You can't have a nice, predictable flow of work. Why should you be entitled to that? No one else is entitled to it. Yeah, Yeah. that, that, you know, it's not like we don't have a a bit of infrastructure that's not falling down. We're a bit behind. We've got flood defences, which are clearly not adequate for the climate change we're going to experience today. Uh, Clearly, we have schools which are falling down and are massively in disrepair. Clearly, social housing is a massive need. And quite clearly, we're not able to actually retrofit buildings that don't burn down. Mm. So we have a few problems. But I suppose, and this is
1: one of the frustrations, I suppose, you know, we've Talked about and, and we've written about um, in the magazine the last year or so, like Mark Carney's initiative and, and uh, you know, others, which are seeing you know, the big investors, big pension funds seeking out more environmentally sound kind of investments. But in, in the UK, at least, if we just keep talking about the UK for for a brief moment, um, you know, we, we've rejected private finance, so the vast majority of all our infrastructure is now being delivered through. Public means. And, and so what, it's all, able, you know, we've got all these pension funds who perhaps want to exactly. find the green good investment. Good eager bank, investments. what happened? Yeah.
3: They, they, they can't invest. The Green Investment Bank was never particularly green and just got flogged to Macquarie, yeah. which you sort of go, well, actually, what were they doing? You the know, principle. I have to say, I never understood what they did that was different from an ordinary bank. Mm. Now they're in Macquarie, they're the same as ordinary bank. So mm. that was a bit of, you know, Misdirection. <laughs> green spin, I suspect. But uh, first of all, nearly all of your public infrastructure is privately owned and regulated. It wouldn't be unreasonable, given the Climate Change Act and what May has just said, um, and what the government... Remember, the Climate Change Act was it was actually supported by all three wow. parties. We mm. had three at that point. <laughs>
0: um, uh, and they
3: all reinforced agreement. it. It was unanimous. It got strengthened in the laws with the consent of all three parties. This is not a weird left-wing plot to undermine capitalism. It is a core piece of science that the... Political parties of the UK have wholly embraced. All of them kind of walked away from doing much about it because they're not very good at implementing anything, it would appear, in terms of long term. That doesn't mean it's not the right answer. But the investors in Thames Water, in uh, uh, Anglian Water, in Network Rail, which is mainly the government at the moment, but you know, we still have private finance, even if it comes through a public role. Yeah. And, and at some point, you know, there will be, I have to say, probably in my mind, before our whole industry is ready, there are leaders now who can do it. You know, uh, Grimshaw hired someone to look, look at how they make their practice net zero carbon. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's a few other practices that I haven't quite learned how to spell it yet. We <laughs> don't need the leaders to do it. We need the entire, we need 95% of the builders and contractors and tradespeople and designers and QSs and project managers. We need 95% to be there struggling with this issue within five years. I think we've got a five-year challenge, halfway to 80% target. If we as an industry aren't dancing with mature models by 2025, the pipeline which we're already designing is going to go well past net zero carbon.
2: How optimistic are you that's going to be done?
3: I'm pretty optimistic that Mm. I'm having conversations with all sorts of people, which I could not have had five years ago, uh, even two years ago. The doors are
2: opening more easily, do you mean? Well,
3: I think the one and a half degree report changed the world from, you know, the end of the century with the two degree report, which was, you know, very comprehensible, very well communicated. Mm. People got the science. It's the end of the century. None of us, certainly I can't think, well, I'll be dead by the end of the century. Mm. So it, it didn't, it was more than, 70 years away, you know, it was beyond the end of the century is somewhere else. You've got plenty of time. Mm -hmm. 2050 is in your investment cycle. If you're under 60, it's going to affect you. If you're under 40, it's your pension. You know, where are you going to buy a house? Are you going to get a mortgage on something that's not Mm -hmm. net zero carbon? Are you going to actually have How are you going to keep out the gross migration that's going to occur in the world? When you lose Bangladesh, you've probably lost Venice already, and you've lost half of Florida, and, and, and. And And you look at the floodplain maps that are coming out now. Mm -hmm. Look what's happening in Yorkshire. Um, All right, there was a worse flood, one other worse flood. But all the weather data says the climate will exacerbate these events to be more severe and more often, and we're at the foothills of that curve. Okay, so the probability issue, and we look—we don't do risk and probability well, which is why people buy lottery tickets, right? I mean, if you're logical, you—you you wouldn't, you know—you'd do something else with it. That's—that's that's fantastic. That's what we are, you know. We worry about um, airplanes being safe, and it's the cab to the airport that will kill me. You know, I, it's mm. just nonsense. We're not rational, mm. um, though. Obviously, I am, and everybody else isn't. You know, we. <laughs> We're human, and it's fun, and you want to have a good time. But you're not going to have a good time if you don't address this primary design. It's not a balanced sustainability issue. It's not one of the sort of pillars. It's a conditioner on all the SDGs. And, for, and civil engineering and construction and the built environment and the way we run transport and where way we generate energy, it's fundamental to stand any chance of making cities inclusive because without it they're going to be exclusive it's going to mm. I'm going to have an air conditioner you're not I'm going to be living in a place that doesn't flood and you're not I'm going to have a way of trans- getting around when the, when the when the metro floods and you're not I can buy food that's available now and you won't be able to afford it that's where climate change takes you mm. if you don't address every single element you're talking about a grossly in inequality that makes our current inequality Just irrelevant. Okay. I mean, it's all to play for. Am I optimistic? I think we'll get somewhere close. Um, uh, I'm relying on all sorts of things happening. But it it does mean agriculture, built environment, um, uh, uh, geoengineering, and all the elements have to play really, really hard all at once. 20 years ago, you could have played with something, got it wrong, tried again, changed your emphasis, looked at this, looked at that. It's not true anymore. It's just not true that, you know, the original uh, uh, report on this, um, uh, you know, we that was 15, 20 years ago now, and the time we had to do it was 50 years later so we're now 20 years later this way and we're 50 years earlier in needing to do it the curve is damn near vertical and and that's the that's why that's why claire that's why it went to parliament as an emergency you know emergency Mm -hmm. has a meaning yeah Mm -hmm. it is not convenient it is not normal it is extraordinary it is means you have to do things you wouldn't do at a rate that you wouldn't normally do. You can't play at options; you play them all, and that you know, fantastic intellectual, technical, and market opportunity for some, and highly disruptive and upsetting for others. So we've, you know, we rightly we're we're, we're here in the UK, and we've talked a fair bit about the UK.
1: And 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 Keith, you make the, the absolutely brilliant point there that you know the, the, some of the stuff which is you know globally that, that if we don't address climate change, it's going to start happening, but. I mean, you know, taking this up to a, a global level, you know, we civil engineers, we're all over the world. Um, and UK is, is taking a lead on this, thankfully, pleasingly. Let's, you know, let's fingers crossed that we do take lead on it, but there's kind of a, there's another level up to this, isn't there? When we look at, you know, we're UK, we are a developed world, we're taking a lead. That's probably good because arguably we've created the problem in the first place for all our kind of industry yeah. of, of the past. Um, but there's a whole, a whole new level of people like us emerging isn't there and and that which is just gonna if it's not done right it's just gonna take this problem to a whole new level so well, and I, then, I mean you've I, got this brilliant fridge analogy
3: so come on it, give us your fridge analogy but this is your this is your grazing of the commons question isn't it you know I graze my cow in the commons to the extent that my cows get get fat but next year there's no grass for anybody and they will die mm. uh, that's a crude summary of that problem mm. but it does require global cooperation it does require um, it does require every for contraction and convergence. So um, uh, is the UK's in of itself with 70 odd million people a bit under? Is our carbon footprint sufficient if we've got to near zone well to make a difference? No. But if we don't, why should France? Yeah. Why should mm. Germany? And at that point, we all die. I mean, it's as simple, it's as binary as that. It is a global emergency, which is why, you know, it figures in Europe in every, you know, read any paper, climate change is in the paper five or six times, not on a climate change subject, but on a flood or on a biodiversity, on a social exclusion, on a migration. And by the way... An exacerbating factor is climate change. So they're not climate change articles, they're articles about other things which are happening, which have been exacerbated by climate change. Okay, there's a travel program on TV, guy traveling through South America, and villages emptying out because there's no water, the men are going north, That's part of the migration issue to the US from, from Central America, exacerbated by climate change. Is it caused by... No, there was always an issue of poverty, but it's much worse. Is it 10% worse or 50% worse? Not sure, but it is definitely worse. And tomorrow, it's much, much worse. So you've got to have some degree of faith that if we can do it in the UK and have the technology and learn how to do renewable energy storage in a way that gets rid of the grid as we can't do it and look at the custom, places like India are already... I just heard a, a woman talk about green buildings in India... So a whole bunch of states in India will give you extra floor area if your building's green. Fairly good definition too, okay? Um, uh, other ones are giving you uh, a quicker permit. Other ones are giving you less permitting fees. So there's stuff going on in India where there's actually people doing um, progressive sustainable development. Um, Institute of Human Habitat and Indian Institute of Human Habitat looking for a net zero carbon campus, um, fantastic bit of research. Also looking at systems of systems to support the campus, which you'd then use that learning for cities. Massive education issues to go on to get your regular sewer department, not just in Bangalore, but in every in New York and Boston, to understand they got a different game. Massive issue to get through people who are making their current system work to say, hey, game on, a Different, different thing to worry about and you're not equipped for it. Um, have a sense of humor, get on with it. These are really big challenges, but China is gonna become a low carbon economy, quicker than America. American states are gonna do stuff despite Trump. Um, Poland is an issue, Hungary is an issue, parts of South America an issue. You could just give up and spend your pension, couldn't you? <laughs>
2: Do the same rules apply with air quality, Keith, in terms of, because it's not strictly about carbon reduction necessarily, but, well, it isn't, but it's obviously an urban problem with climate change associations. What What's well, your sense of how the air quality?
3: Um, there's a really good bit problem. in the last IPC report which talks about um, the decarbonisation scenarios and how they relate to SDGs mm. and where there are the uh, where different ways of doing it are compatible with the SDG targets, which is quite a complex set of... because you've got different pathways and different solutions.
2: Yeah, if people but want to look this up, this is the in, UN Sustainable Development yeah, so Goals. so UN Sustainable
3: Development yeah. Council you know, about uh, getting rid of poverty, mm. um, uh, sea life, uh, you know, there's 17 of them. Three are governance, the way you govern city. One is climate change itself, and then the other 13 are, you know, air, water, agriculture, mm. diversity of women, um, uh, security. I mean, you, you can look them up. There's a nice badge. You get all different colors. Anyway, they fantastic goals. People have signed up to them. They are making a difference. Um, and most pathways are supportive of this. You can make mistakes. So if we go massively for biofuels as the global answer, well, you've actually probably completely screwed the poor in terms of, of, of food. Mm. Uh, because food will become scarce because we're doing something else with it. So there's all sorts of complex issues around that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But by and large, they are complementary to it. They certainly need to be complementary Mm -hmm. to it. And that's why some of the technology would be interesting. And frankly, um, the air quality issue, it's hard to see that anything to do with net zero carbon isn't massively additive to solving the air quality issue, which, you know, today I read, uh, it's linked to brain cancer. Um, we already know it's a major asthma cost to the mm. NHS. Um, you know, if you if you had a proper, if you had the perfect economy, which can't work, um, NHS would be investing in electric cars for the city because it would save them more money in treating asthma. You know, and that the equation is is blunt. Um, we can't afford to kill children. Uh, and treat people with asthma, let alone we might think it's not a great idea to give children (laughs) asthma. You know, we might think that's a standard we should aspire to, Mm -hmm. is not to have people die like they did in the smog. You know, I mean, we've been there before with the Air Mm -hmm. Quality Act. We changed the act and we stopped people dying in the smog. We're now back at that. Not an unreasonable thing to think we should address. Um, But you can't address it in isolation of climate change. Sustainability without without decarbonisation actually leads you to a worse world. Right. So, so Colin, if you know,
1: if there are many, many civil engineers um, listening to this right now who I would hope passionately want to be involved in this as 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 a solution, what's the single most important thing they should do,
3: having listened to this podcast? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, well, first of all, they might make sure the people they work for um, uh, understand climate change at the senior level uh, and ask for climate change training, um, either in behavioral psychology, you know, how do you deal with it? How does the media report it? um, uh, Have workshops internally on on, on the science. So you get the landscape for the next discussion. Now, a lot of firms are there already. So they've got the landscape of science, behavioral psychology, and media. That's kind of, mm. you know, a lot of people haven't got that. You give them that and then you start into, um, uh, 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 and there's a, quite a few companies doing it, looking at how they change their own behavior over time to be net zero carbon in terms of what they, they the way they operate and then in their offering too. So start picking up projects. And ask in a debate. There's a group of young engineers who work on all the major projects in the UK who have asked to see me because they're looking to see what they can do. Now, I don't think I can give them the answer, but the fact they're smart enough to get together and say we've changed a design question. Um, I think the uh, uh, I think the member, if you're a member of a professional body, you should write the professional body today and say where are you on the climate change emergency? Not your general stuff. What are you doing? that is massively quicker and urgent than what you were doing before. What have you changed in terms of your committee structure that meets once every you know, November on a wet night? What are you doing that means you can change standards and curriculum? Why isn't CO2E a design parameter in every second year onward civil engineering course, which currently it isn't? And the the people listen to this, through your professional membership you can bring pressure you you own the mem you own the institutions you pay the fees and if they don't respond leave and form your own group um, this is not a green party issue this is this is a professional issue one of the things um, a group of us are looking at is should there be a learning platform for the whole built environment industry not for each professional body because by definition this is multidiscipline it is not any. It's not RICS, R-E-B-A, ICE, IStructE. It's all of their domains and the bits in between. And if you look at the car industry or the aircraft industry, hell, they're not about banging metal anymore. They're about technology. They're about fly-by-wire. They're about computer programs. They're about AI. They're about machine learning. They're not about banging metal. That industry is, has got skills in it which are completely different than it was 20 years ago. And why aren't we changing the family of skills? That's kind of more fun. <laughs> okay. So ask your company, ask your institutions what you're doing
1: differently. That's something that people could do. Should they also be taking some element of personal responsibility? Should every civil engineer become
3: vegan? Uh I you, always talked in. Are Atkins. you a vegan, Keith? Uh, I'm vegetarian most yeah. of the time. What about you, Mark? fellow was,
2: of the Institution of Civil am Flexitarian.
3: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'd say more accurate. I'm pescatarian. Uh, certainly at home until I go out and buy a steak. Okay, <laughs> so um, you know, weak, uh, weak <laughs> and pathetic. But by and large, we have Fallible. massively reduced meat intake and cook better for it. Um, uh, we now have, we've just renewed the solar panels on the house. We've added a battery to the house. We've got solar hot water, uh, thermal hot water. We put a controller in. We've just about put another controller in that. We've got an Edwardian house. We've insulated the inside beyond its standard. Um, uh, we're trying to actually get the house to net zero carbon. And what do we do? We buy a new gas stove, which is stupid, okay? <laughs> so, you know, we're all somewhat inconsistent mm. um, uh, and we limit flying. We try and go by train um, mm. if we can. Um, uh, so the only flights we do, I do now is where I actually think the stuff at the other end has a leverage um, mm. uh, uh, beyond so Bentley did a fantastic conference in Singapore, really have some first class stuff and had uh, climate change as their lead uh, keynote speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's quite interesting. A company like Bentley, privately owned, yeah. forward thinking, very innovative. Climate change, not a convenient subject, not subject yeah. that people necessarily wanted to hear. They put it to, you know to their credit. They thought it was relevant. That wouldn't have happened five years ago. No. You know, you'd have had something about marketing or something comfortable and cheery and not very inconvenient. It's a fantastic sign from a, from a privately held company and more power to them. And I, we're seeing that more and more. Um, so, you know, I always said, look, if you want to, it's your choice. You, you want to drive a Porsche, um, have a hot tub, um, and uh, uh, eat a steak every day, you know, that, that's your choice. You look like an idiot, but that's your choice.
2: 1970s throwback, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but,
3: but, you know, what, what, what you do in your own life is not no. my business. And, you know, I always took the view in Atkins that I, I didn't want to know about your sexuality. That's not my business. Um, I want to know you're treated fairly. I want to know that you are able to reach your potential. I wish we'd done more on that. We tried. Uh, I want to not be racist or sexist as a company uh, with no unconscious bias that's detrimental. But what you do in your private life is your business, Um, your values, who you vote for, what you do, how you behave outside the office. That's your business. What you do as a professional, well, that's different. As a Mm. professional, you should understand climate change it is unconscionable as a professional a professional is just that a professional is meant to be able to say things to a client the client hadn't thought about okay you're not you're not a hairdresser okay you're someone giving advice from a sphere that the client doesn't understand you're helping he or she solve a question they can't even articulate that's what professionalism is you know it's it's about and giving judgments And engaging. Um, And that you should be able to do. And you want to be an idiot in your own life? That's your problem. I mean, not my business. You leave the office, I don't own your brain. Um, You know, having said that, we as a family, you know, are trying to live on a uh, vastly reduced carbon footprint on the basis I can't go around giving talks if I'm, um, you know, Behaving you know, with a four-litre Porsche outside at my age, it doesn't make any sense anyway so. But I got a Brompton. I got a new red racing bike, which is really cool <laughs> Sad really isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, and you rocked up in it today. So we, you have you,
1: you've you absolutely ticked the system with us today, um, and we thank you for it You never told us about your fridge Keith well If you do want to hear Keith's fridge analogy, then there's an easy way of doing it. As he's mentioned, Keith gave the keynote address at Bentley's recent Year in Infrastructure Conference. So just go to bentley.com and navigate yourself to the Year in Infrastructure section where the videos are all up there for all the keynote addresses, including Keith's. I definitely urge you to go listen to it. It's fascinating, it's brilliant, it's not that long. And he does explain to you why the fridge is going to exacerbate the climate emergency.
2: So that's it from us for this month. Do join us again for the next episode of The Engineers Collective. Remember to subscribe if you haven't already. And in the meantime, please do check out newcivilengineer.com and have a read of the magazine so you get a little more of a sense of what else we've been interested in.
0: Thanks for listening to The Engineers Collective, powered by Bentley Systems. To find out more about Bentley's Year in Infrastructure Conference, go to www. YII